Hey, what's up, everybody? You're listening to Cannabis Karaoke, where we ask you to grab the mic and tell your story. Get inside info from today's most interesting cannabis pioneers, and from the first note to the end of the song, listen up as you get to hear the stories of success on Cannabis Karaoke. Welcome back to another episode of Cannabis Karaoke. I'm your host, Danny Keith, and uh, it's a new week. It's another week of quarantine. It's another week of covid um, people, do your part, stay inside so we can get back to going outside and seeing our friends and uh, watch sports and everybody can be healthy. Today's uh, show is a is a really good one because they're, they're a first to market on, on a situation in the financial field that not a lot of people have figured out how to get it done. I'm talking today with co-founder of and CEO of Golden Seed, Scott Goldie. And then on the phone with us as well is... Golden Seeds securities lawyer, uh, Kendall Almarico. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. And I'm really looking forward to hearing your story, and especially because it's out of Santa Cruz. Hey, thank you for having us on the show. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, you guys came out, I mean, about what, towards the middle of last year that you guys kind of started pushing? Yeah, we started the company in December of 2017. Uh, and then we had some crops in 18, but uh, we really started kind of statewide distribution towards August of last year. And then we just got approval for a pretty large cultivation that we started in February. Congratulations on all that. And, you know, for those that don't know, it takes, uh, it, even though 2017 doesn't sound too far away, it probably feels like 10 years in the space of going through what all the different regulatory changes and taxations and kind of playing whack-a-mole with the state on trying to stay in business. You guys also are, are the first and only uh, cannabis company to be able to do, help me understand the uh, public offering that you're going through or the investment component that you guys are going through. Well, I'll start and then I'll let Kendall address it as well. You know, uh, several years ago, there's there's a regulation of the Securities Act called Regulation A that uh, came out, I believe, as part of the Jobs Act, and it's only really been uh, been able to be used over the last three years. Uh, we started looking at that for another business that we have, the Napa Valley Wine Train, and it didn't work out then. Uh, so when we were starting up Golden Seed, you know, really in our second year, we approached Kendall again to see if he thought it would be possible, you know, because the SEC is a federal agency, if he thought it would be possible for our space because we thought it would be great if it did work. I don't know, Kendall, if you want to elaborate on that. Yeah, it was it was really interesting um, when Scott and, and everyone uh, contacted me. You know, here, here, here comes a company that is heavily in the cannabis space that has incredible products that has a great, you know, co-founder and great grower in JR, a well-known guy creating premium products, but they also have this great management team, you know, guys that actually know how to run businesses and grow businesses and do things the right way. And I had been approached by probably a hundred or more cannabis companies about, Hey, do you think that I could be the first one to get through the SEC and have the federal government, you know, allow us to go out and sell stock to the general public. And I turned them all down. And when Scott called, I remember just, uh, you know, like the angels singing hallelujah, that finally there's a company that actually has all the pieces that they really need to take something like this to the, to the federal government and say, Hey, we want you, the federal government to 
let us go sell stock to the general public, even though cannabis is illegal federally. Uh, and people thought we were completely insane doing that. But I knew from my dealings with the SEC that if it was the right company with the right products and the right management team and the right finances and who all did things the right way, someone was going to be the first. And I really felt confident it would be Golden Seed. And lo and behold, uh, thankfully, the SEC was great to work with and qualified our offering, meaning we were the first private U.S. cannabis company ever to be allowed to go sell stock to anybody in the general public. Literally anyone can invest in the company, uh, which has never been done before. Yeah, I mean, I when I watched, you know, having watched your guys' path, being being in town here and, you know, talking with JR now and then, you have really assembled something that's, you know, most of us that don't invest anything besides, like, let's say the traditional market or bonds or has our 401k. I mean, we usually have somebody that helps us out. And in this space, it's a lot of private money that goes in. And a lot of times it's friends and family that come in first. And, it's, and to get to what you guys are offering... Um, you're offering everybody, I think, is it a minimum investment of $100 that you guys do? Yes. And then, yeah, that's correct. Is there a cap on that that they can invest at? Uh, nope. There's no. There's no maximum. I mean, you know, ultimately, one of the one of the little strange things in the law is that, um, you know, if you're what we call an accredited investor, meaning someone who makes more than $200,000 a year or has a net worth of over a billion dollars, it's totally unlimited as to how much you can invest. Um, however, if you're not in that category, there is a limitation. Uh, it can only you can only invest up to ten percent of your income or your net worth. So it's actually a very good law um, from the perspective that, yeah, anyone in, in the general public can invest. And with ethical and good companies like Golden Seed, you know, it, it's nice to know. But there might be some unscrupulous person out there who tries to do this and, you know, grandma has her nest egg and they convince her to put everything into a company. Well, that's not allowed. Um, you know, it's, it's a limitation of 10% for people that aren't accredited investors, which I think is a good limitation to, to have. And uh, but the you know, reality is that rarely comes into play. Most people are going to invest, you know, $100, $500, $1,000 in a company like this. And that's what's so cool about it is that, you know, as I always say, who doesn't want to own a weed farm? You, know? and you can be in Alabama where, you know, cannabis is completely illegal and you can still own part of a weed farm for as little as a hundred bucks. It's really, and, and that being something the SEC qualified, that's a really cool thing to be able to do. Yeah. And following it, you know, it, and I hope this isn't a disrespectful term, but part of your offering too is a little bit of a gamification, right? Like if you, the more you invest, the more opportunities you have to be invited to different parties. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Well, we really want to create, it's really a, a family of investors. And so uh, by getting a collection of a lot of people, you know, we're up to now over 1500 people that have, have filed an application to invest. You really are creating a community of brand ambassadors for golden seed. Uh, so they're going to tell their friends and family about it. They're going to go to the stores and try to buy your product, you know, tell dispensaries they should carry your product. And it really, you know, becomes this phenomena that's allowing us to get a national footprint, you know, before any other cannabis company. We're literally today have investment or applications from 49 states. 
uh, one U.S. territory in 18 countries. So it's really helping us create the lifestyle brand that we want, you know, we want to create based on this, this surf community coming out of Santa Cruz. Yeah. And kind of, if you, if you think, if you think back to the world of, uh, you know, I, I remember when I first started talking about the concept of, of crowdfunding to people back in the early, you know, 2010, the part of the decade, people would look and, and they didn't really understand what the term is, but now pretty much everybody has gotten someone who's solicited them to either go to GoFundMe or Kickstarter, uh, Kickstarter or Indiegogo to help fund something, you know, and that whole concept of getting a small amount of money from a lot of people, that's what Regulation A is. That's what this law is that lets us do this. The big difference is if you go to Kickstarter and you say, hey, um, you know, I, I want to help you make a new product and I'm going to give you money now for that new product that's going to come out in six months. You don't own part of that product. With this law, with what we're doing with Golden Seed, you can actually do a little bit of both. You can say to people, hey, you can invest $100 in our company. We can't give them, you know, weed, not allowed, but we can give them, you know, really cool T-shirts and we can invite them to parties, you know, where they can see the plants growing and dinners in the warehouse and big festivals like we're planning on doing in the future and give away things that go along with this in addition to the fact that you own stock. So you're right. It's, it's still there that, you know, think about it. And I know this is a pretty high end aspiration, but you know, if someone invests $50,000 in the company, we do have people that have invested $50,000 in the company. Uh, if someone does, they can actually name their own strain of, of cannabis, you know? So, you know, that goes all the way down to if you invest a hundred dollars, you get this really cool card that shows that you're an owner of golden state that looks like a black card and it feels like a black card and you get to come to some of our parties and all in between at different levels you know we give away cool things that like scott said it makes you feel like you're part of the family and it makes you want to tell other people about it it's not like hey i own a few shares of stock in some company i'm not going to go tell people about it i'm just looking at the stock ticker to see what it's worth today you don't really get that with what we're doing you get people that really get engaged and get excited about being part of the community and the family no i, th- I think what you've done is you know, every investor, whether they're, you know, the whole point of people investing is they want to be a part of what you have going on. And a lot of times it does stop with what's the return, you know, and on this situation, you know, somebody might invest $50,000. It may take, and I'm just remove golden seed from this comment because that's, I'm not trying to implicate, but let's say it never returns anything, but that person got to go to a number of events that connected them to somebody else that made another investment that, that garnered them, 10x of what they put into both places so you're giving people opportunity to integrate into the cannabis space besides with just their money which i think is pretty pretty inventive and um i i haven't seen anybody really been able to kind of you know a lot of times you look at these situations and other people are doing crowdfunding style things and making promises that haven't necessarily come true you guys kind of stay away from the promises and you really focus more on the the lifestyle that you're building and i just have to say like you know it's the rare times, you know, that you see a company like this in a frenetic industry come out with some stability as far as how people can get involved in the product that you're cranking out. Yeah. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Let's pivot May and October. What do those two months mean to you? May and October, May of 2019, you won a cup at the, uh, 
High Times. Event. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, then October, I'm you sorry. no, it's okay. October, you guys took it again at the HempCon in Watsonville. Um, I counted nine strains that you guys have posted up on your site. Some insane strains. I'm a big fan of Durban. Um, talk about the process. Cups are difficult. Um, they're not, you know, some claim are politically charged. Some, some say whatever, but it always seems to be that when, when judges get together and nominate a strain or acknowledge that it, it provides a big boost. And that kind of gave you guys that same push. Your first out of the gate, you slammed down two cups real quick. And how did that, you know, kind of impress people or encourage people to get involved, both on the investment side and the product, like carrying your product? Yeah, I think it was really important. And we're really fortunate. Uh, J.R. Richardson, who's my business partner and co-founder, uh, but what he's really known for is being a brilliant, really, geneticist within the cannabis industry. I mean, he's been doing it uh, for almost 40 years, and the guy's just around 50 years old. So. It's pretty amazing. He came out of the gold, uh, Green Triangle up by Humboldt, and he's got completely sustainable practices that, to him, is uh, religion. So when we're coming out with our first product, I mean, we wanted to go into the pre-roll market, and he had kind of this brilliant idea where we would extract the terpenes from that plant, and then once the pre-roll is done, we put a drop of the terpene back on the pre-roll and essentially come up with a uh, terpene tip uh, pre-roll joint. No one had really done that yet. And so the terpene enhances the aroma and the flavor of the joint. And literally, we hit the gold cup at, at uh, high times right out of the gate and followed it up with the hemp cum. And if you're looking at crowded shelf space in the dispensary, it's much easier to get shelf space if you can kind of demonstrate that you've won these awards. They can taste your product. They can see how great it is. And it's really helped us. I mean, it helped us get shelf space and it helped us get I think investment, obviously, as well. And it's just created a lot of credibility for our brand and going forward as we expand our SKUs and the dispensaries. So I think it was indispensable, really. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and I can echo what, I echo what Scott said. It's, it's funny that, you know, think about it. It's, it's, you guys are both in California. I'm here on the other end of the world in Washington, D.C. I can't buy Golden Seed products here. You know, and, and the fact that we've gotten, because, you know, Everyone knows if you grow it in California right now, you have to sell it in California. Uh, that's just you know what's required. And just like if you grow it in Nevada, you have to sell it in Nevada. Well, we don't know that's going to change over time, but right now that's the case. However, we're selling stock to people all over the country. As Scott said, we've sold it to, I think, 49 different states right now. Many of those people never have tasted or tried the product because they can't get it yet. They're you know, hoping like we all are that when this becomes federally able to move across state lines, Golden Seed will have a national footprint already because we've got investors everywhere and it'll be easy to move into all the other states. But in the meantime, you hit the nail on the head, Scott. What gives you credibility on something that you've never been able to taste or buy yourself? It won awards. It won awards from a recognized everyone certified times. I've certified times since, you know, I was a teenager. Um, high Times said, this is the best in Northern California, which is an area known for cannabis. Well, God, if I'm sitting in Alabama or I'm sitting in Kentucky or I'm sitting in Idaho or somewhere else where I can't buy this product, all of a sudden I'm thinking, this stuff must be really good. And that really does help with us getting investors across the country, not just in California where people can actually buy the product. Yeah, I think when you get that that kind of automatic acknowledged 
uh, nod for the cup component and, you know, for a specific product, I think that I've seen it happen to other brands. It just catapults them uh, into the next level of people really being willing to be a part of it or search it out. I mean, I think in this new time that we're in, you know, not only are we searching out content, but we're searching out, you know, what we want to purchase. And I think when, when you can, when somebody gets that nod, it definitely makes people a little bit more comfortable to make that purchase. You, you mentioned the product that you took to the cup, you know, this is JR obviously was, uh, messing around with Terps before everybody really was aware how important Terps are. You know, a lot of people use botanical Terps. They, they'll pump in a strawberry or a pineapple or whatever. And a lot of times they're, they're not even fruit Terps, they're synthetic Terps. And I, you know, while you still get the same effect, it's nice to hear people talking about drawing the Terps off the plant, putting them back in the plant. I mean, those are things that should be common practice. And obviously JR it is a religion for him. I've known him for a lot of years. When, you brought that to market for the first time, like because I like right after you guys had your big party, I was down in LA at that particular moment, and I we were walking through dispensaries, and I happened to walk in and saw, I I want to say, Euflora in Santa Ana was carrying Golden Seed, and I was like, damn, these guys are just they're moving already, you know. And what was what was a but what were the bud tenders or the buyers' reactions when you were selling them these pre rolls that were reinfused with terps um, to kind of give it that little extra touch. Well, there's one dispensary, one of the first ones we were in in Santa Ana, I believe, as well, called 420 Central. And we went down, and they have a panel that has to sample new products that are going to be coming in their store. And they had five bun tenders, butt tenders that are on the panel. And we were told that we we're the first unanimous selection ever to go into their store. So the reception of anyone that's taste, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a user myself, but I sample out, and obviously our preps sample out, but the response has been kind of universally, you know, incredible. We've had some testimonials that have come in that are going to end up being part of our uh, marketing that are some of the, I mean, I'm in a lot of other businesses, probably some of the best testimonials I've ever seen. Uh, so that part is really cool. And the other side is from our investors, we're getting a lot of people that are interested in the CBD side of it. And they're talking about what it's done from them from a medicinal standpoint, a health standpoint. So, it's not just the THC side, which, you know, recreational is very strong, but the medical side, I think, can be coming along as well. And I just wanted to circle back to your point on terpenes. Uh, you know, JR started talking about those probably a long time ago. He started talking to me about them a couple of years ago. And while people in the store are all buying product based on THC content, he's a firm believer, and I think people that have the knowledge and are educating themselves the terpene is really something that makes experience even better than potentially THC percentage. You know, it's the entourage effect of the whole taste and flavor and smell. And uh, so again, I think he was way ahead of the game on that. Well, and I, I agree. And I was going to, I'll just add to that in the sense that I don't think we think the one good thing that came out of, you know, the state's, you know, intense testing process is to identify all the compounds in the plant and find out how they all work together. And as we move into this, you know, everybody's doing this and, you know, ancestry or DNA, you know, one, two, three, or whatever they're called. They now are starting to look at how can we genetically map, you know, cannabis to people's specific needs. But, 
you know, you're right. Like I, so many times I'm in a dispensary and you know, the bud tender gets asked what to buy and they're like, Oh man, this has got the most THC. It's like, you know, 22%, 24%, whatever occasional unicorn, 32%. And it doesn't have, you know, because that's how we've been conditioned to buy alcohol is like the more potent the alcohol is, the more of a in, in inebriation effect it takes in a quicker period of time. When in reality, like I've smoked weed that was like upwards of 28, 32%. And I, that really didn't get me that high. And then I, t- I smoked something that's like at 18% and it's like, I'm counting the cracks in the ceiling, you know? And so it's really about how your body, it reacts to the plant. And I think, you know, we're just getting started on how we can unpack so many different things um, from this plant, which is a good pivot because I want to talk a little bit about your hemp side of the business. And how do you, how do you bifurcate that? I mean, is it all cannabis based hemp or is it, um, industrial rated hemp? Is it commercial? What type, what type of hemp are you guys putting out there? Uh, it's, it's based on the cannabis plant. Again, this is where JR's genetics come in because he started way back when, uh, with Ringo up in the green triangle and got, got some really good genetics, uh, through a friend. And for probably the last 12 or 13 years, he's been cross breeding and bringing, uh, up the CBD percentages. But what's really unique about his hemp is that the terpene profiles are off the chart. I mean, I've been told typical th- or, uh, terpene percentages in hemp might be as high as the 30%. He's had some test out at 70%. Wow. And so the flavor profiles uh, and kind of strength is terpenes in that. If we want to talk about smokable hemp, I mean, I think he's got some of the best genetics in the country. And that's just straight no THC infused, right? That's just the the one that can be sold everywhere without regulation. Exactly. It, it meets the T, THC threshold. It's below that. And that's your, is that the CBD grind one that you have? Yeah. That, that, I've done our website. That's THC. Gotcha. And be, because here's the deal. Like I just like JR have smoked weed most of my adult life. Um, and I am now finding myself using other Componentries. I'm doing one-to-one tinctures now. I'm doing level protab CBGs. I think the people that are, you know, as you look at this as a wellness component, um, those are the things that I think people are going to really, I think as we move into this next phase, after we come out of this, you know, pandemic, if you will, that people will be looking, that people found things while this period was going on to help them with either anxiety, eating, nausea, sleeping, whatever, that, that they're going to carry that forward. And it's, you know, unique times when we go into these kind of situations, most people focus on the negative components. How How is COVID affecting you guys, and how are you guys spinning it into a positive to continue getting good medicine out to the people that need it? Yeah, for us, we're really fortunate to be in this sector because I'm in the several other sectors that have been impacted tremendously. And so being an essential industry, agricultural, uh, we're able to continue in the cannabis. And as everyone has seen lately, cannabis sales are up quite a bit. You know, people are more people are going to the stores and are buying more product. And so we feel that the cannabis side of it, just purely in terms of sales and potential, this has actually helped it. And we're no, no means minimizing the problems that are out there, but we get a lot of a lot of people talking about how it has helped them with their anxiety. It has helped them sleep. I mean, I I use it for both of those purposes. I did before, and I do more now. So I think you know, this industry, fortunately, is 
is going to be able to continue. It's going to be able to continue to help people. I agree. And, and, uh, you guys had a, you did an interview with Bloomberg and in that interview, you made a pretty bold claim. They asked you what they thought, you know, federal, when would we see federal legalization of cannabis? And I think you threw out within the next five years. And I think if you would have said when that interview was done, had I heard it right out of the gate, I would have probably doubted you a little bit only because the federal government hasn't figured out how to make all the money on it yet. And so that's why they're still paused on like, how do they get all their buddies to make more money than the people that started it? But once cannabis was deemed essential across all these States, I mean, for such a small designation, it was such a huge win for the cannabis space. When you guys are, we're sitting back watching this go down, you know, we're pretty involved with dispensary level, what activities that happen with a couple of Facebook groups that we're a part of. You know, at the first of it, you know, they weren't recognizing cannabis. You know, places like San Francisco was shutting it down. I believe San Diego shut it down initially. And they've all since reversed. In fact, Berkeley passed something not just the other day that was like only curbside pickup to where now they can do delivery again. Like, how is that designation of from, and I want to hear from both of you on this question, how does that designation of being an essential brand play in or an essential industry play into your guys's greater picture of where your brand is going? Well, I think it's, uh, again, we try to be kind of thought leaders on this. And I do agree with what you said earlier that that designation, if you take a look at the percentage of people that believe that this product is helpful, I mean, it's across the country. There's more and more states legalize that that just does a lot of credibility for cannabis and for CBD. I think that will help make things go quicker. Uh, and I think being out there and talking about it and being at the forefront of it, uh, we're luckily able to get in terms of a lot of AD exposure. I think it helps a lot, not only the industry, but the brand. I think one other thing that's, that's uh, always been a big part of, of the stock offering that, and, and I love the fact that, you know, this is so important to JR and Scott and everyone at Golden Sea is that there's a huge educational component. Uh, Dan, you hit the nail on the head a couple of times of, you know, people didn't understand about terpenes before and people don't understand about, uh, you know, for example, hemp cigarettes, smokable hemp, I think is something that's going to be a big product in the future. But right now, people don't really know what it is. But there's a lot of these things that go on and Goldstein takes a really, really proactive approach to educating people because we want people to learn and understand the products and things that are going on. So interestingly, probably as many people are listening to this podcast uh, over the next few days, the day today when we're actually making this happen, we are finalizing literally as we speak a nationwide survey that Golden Seed commissioned to find out about people using cannabis during this pandemic. And it'll be, you'll see it in the news. I'm sure you'll be reading about it and it'll be on our website, but it's really cool because I've gotten a little peek under the curtain of what's going on, and it's what you suspect. It's that people are smoking more, you know, cannabis right now. People are using it for different reasons, some to help relieve anxiety, some to help sleep better, and what have you. And and there's going to be some really interesting findings from this that we're going to be releasing over the next couple of days, all because, you know, again, all the news is so negative right now, and it should be. There's a lot of bad things going on. But people are looking for interesting information and a little glimmer of hope. And I think that the way that the cannabis industry has been treated uh, as an essential part of the economy is really heartening. And I really do believe that Scott hit the nail on the 
head. I think the first time Scott and I talked about this, when we met to talk about possibly doing this, he said, I know this is going to be legal in five years. And I believe him. Uh, you know, the fact that the SEC qualified this stock offering, a federal agency, that's another great step. I mean, we want to be at the forefront of that, but we all do know this is coming. It's going to happen. Do you think, though, we got to be cautious because we all got super hot and heavy about Prop 64, and in reality, everybody wishes we were still under Prop 215. I think one of the things that is scary for me over the next five years if this is to happen is, in reality, the scheduling of the drug it obviously means very little to the consumer at the moment. Um, I, you schedule it up to one or whatever and legalize it. I, We'll probably see an uptick, but I think, you know, in the state of California, we saw a reason, a, every state that's opened up with cannabis has seen a surge of new users. But I think the biggest thing we need is safe banking. If we're an essential business and we know that, you know, we have to, that business is up. I mean, I have friends that have had to walk in, you know, their payments to the state board in cash because there's nowhere they can bank $300,000 in cash and not have it locked up for some reason. And so, the biggest thing I think we need is safe banking. Um, I think we're under the guise or we're in the spirit of the arrangement that cannabis is a safe mechanism for healing and even for just being intoxicated. But I think the first step we need to make is like, you know, safe banking. Bit of a tangent, but I feel like I'm nervous as we go into this next election cycle um, with either side that gets in because nobody's really Democrat nor Republican has been a big champion. Uh, specifically in any party for their space. There's been players in that space, but it seems like they have to leave politics um, to be able to espouse their their true beliefs on the cannabis plant, like AKA John Boehner, you know? And so when you guys are looking at um, the future and you're looking at this next five years, are you starting to identify certain markets that you want to participate in? I would imagine leading with that hemp component you know, you have a little bit of an up hand on different areas, but are there areas in the country that you're you're considering expanding to, or are you going to f- figuratively wait until it's federally legal and you can transport your product from California out um, to the other states? Yeah, the way I look at it right now is that uh, California is the largest legal market in the world, and the fact that it's not federally legal is currently a real benefit to us and probably other people in the state because. It allows us to really solidify our infrastructure, really get our large cultivation going, really establish our brand. And I think we'll be much prepared, much better prepared to go national because of that. Uh, so not right now. I mean, we have been approached by people that may want to license the brand in other states, but we're really, really focused on you know, growing our infrastructure and growing our presence in California because if it does go legal three or four or five years from now, we, if we got really got our base and our foundation set up well, we'll be really primed to go, uh, you know, export. The iconic brand, the California brand, it's almost like a Napa Cabernet. I think people identify with that from other states. Yeah, I agree with Scott. I don't think I don't think people are going to be. And this is nothing against a great state like Texas, but I don't think people are going to be sitting around going. Boy, I can't wait to get some of that Texas weed. Right. People are going to be in Texas. Texas is a wonderful place, but it's not known for growing, you know, marijuana or cannabis. And California always has been known uh, for it. So when you can cross state lines, having an iconic California brand that's already established is going to be a huge, huge step up for uh, a huge, uh, uh, you know, uh, thing that's great for us. Also, 
again, going back to the stock offering, one of the reasons for doing this is to establish a base of investors in every every state. Uh, and the fact will be, you know, I've seen this with other clients where I've done similar things, you know, if we end up having uh, a huge number of investors in New York State or in some particular state, that might be a place that we would want to expand to quicker than another because already having a lot of boots on the ground that are going to help us promote, go to dispensaries and say, hey, I own part of this country why, company. Why aren't you carrying the award-winning golden seed? <laughs> you know, it's available now. That's something that no one else is going to have, uh, at, at least as of right now. And that's a big leg up for us, too, when we can expand into those places where we have large pockets of investors. No, it's a well-built ecosphere of, you know, I often tell people that the true brands are still being established right now. I mean, you have people that have jumped out there and focused on their marketing, focused on their forward-facing messaging, being on brand, on social uh, maybe they're even building out in-store kiosks that they manage on, on behalf of those people. But the customer is still, I don't want to say ignorant, but they're severely undereducated still in an industry that's moving so fast. And unless you live, eat, sleep this thing every day, you're going to, you're not going to be able to stay up on everything. And so to your point, you know, everybody in a market like this, you know, having watched the dot-com boom that took place, you know, there's always this frenetic activity behind everything. And, and sometimes businesses, you know, get a, get distracted by shiny objects and tend to not stay on course. I think that's the hardest thing in the space is to stay disciplined, to know when to actually the good old saying, make sure your eyes aren't bigger than your stomach and focus on, on the things that are critical to what you need to do to build a base. Because in reality, we're still in an emerging space. We're still barely even a toddler, even if that uh, as we look forward in, into the next decade of where cannabis is going to go. And, you know, you got to play to your strong points. And so it's refreshing as, you know, I'm hearing this when you guys, that you're very focused on making sure that that you're not just thumbtacking areas, but you're driving a nail into it and, and assuming that that nail can be placed in other states based on desire, you can replicate it. And I think that's where most of this space is just focused on volume, 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 selling, 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 valuation, valuation, valuation. But not a lot of them are focused on paying attention to the traditional business ethics of how do I grow a business properly? Yeah, I think there's a lot of shiny objects out there. And, you know, some of them, we've been drawn to some of them, but we try to just stay disciplined and focus on our stuff. The other thing that I think that's out there, because we get approached all the time, is a lot of the brands that are in the market that people know about right now. They're just, they're getting weed, they're buying flour from someone else, they're co-packing it. I mean, they're spending all their dollars on marketing and distribution. Yeah. You know, that's another business business model, but it's very important from us. I mean, we actually even have a worm farm. So we start by creating the soil and then we have, we got our plants, we do our own processing. You know, we just recently started co-packing to save uh, some cost, but our product is our product and we stand behind it and we think it's very high quality, but... I would be uncomfortable just going out and buying flour from other people. You know, I, I guess people do that, but it's definitely not the way that we do it. Well, you can track the COA. That's the funniest part. You know, if if people just started tracking yeah. COAs and going back to the farms, they'd see that it's just, it's all branding and, and back to building a, uh, an, there's a difference between working on your branding and building a brand in my mind. I think anybody right. can have branding and, 
present themselves in a certain way. It's a whole nother program to build a brand. And you mentioned Coca-Cola earlier. That's a company that most people would say, oh, their branding is insane. And it's like, no, not really. Their brand is what's insane. Their branding amplifies the brand, right? And so to you, to, for you to make a note to that is warming in my heart because the state doesn't, most of the consumers don't realize that they're buying the same weed just under different names sometimes. Right. You know, I yeah, want, and, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Go. Yeah. I was just going to, I was just going to make a comment. It's, it's really interesting because one of the things that, that Scott and, and his team decided early on when we talked about going out and doing the stock offering was we wanted the point of entry for people to invest to be low. You know, we wanted it to be a hundred dollars is, you know, again, it's especially in today's economic times. And when I say today's, I mean, of the last two weeks, Every $100 matters. We all know that. But still, people can afford to invest $100. You know, not everyone, but most people can and know that it's not going to break them one way or another. The good news is, you know, we could have gone out and said it's a $1,000 minimum investment and just gotten, you know, probably raised more money. But that wasn't what this was about. This was always about raising capital from people who then become part of your brand and help us expand that brand identity. So you hit the nail on the head. We could have probably raised 10 times as much money by making the minimum investment 10 times what it is, but we would lose out on every one of those everyday people who, you know, just wants to be a part of this and wants to help build that brand. And, you know, Coca-Cola became iconic because so many people drink it and love it. And we need to have the same thing. So many people drink, you know, using, drinking our Coca-Cola, but also owning part of that Coca-Cola brand in an early stage, God, if we could go back and buy a few shares of Coca-Cola when it started, I think we'd all be the happiest people alive. Right. That's what we're giving people the opportunity to do here. And, you know, I, I use this analogy all the time, you know, and, and it's, 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 it, you know, if, if when Mark Zuckerberg was sitting in his dorm room at Harvard and him and his buddies came up with this concept of Facebook, none of them knew what it was going to become. None of them knew it was going to become a multi-billion dollar company. People invested in that company early on. And the funny thing is, the only people who could invest in that company early on were rich people. You couldn't, if you were just a friend of his who happened to live in the dorm next to him once they got going, you couldn't buy shares in Facebook. It was illegal. This new law that lets us bring in people now for $100 to own part of Goldenfee didn't exist when Facebook was created. The only people that got rich on Facebook were people that were venture capitalists and had a bunch of money to begin with. I'm not suggesting Golden Seed is going to become Facebook or that people are going to get rich if they invest $100. You know, I would never make that claim. It's every investment is risky and every investment, it's possible that you could lose all your money. Hell, you bought a bunch of shares of Facebook today. It could go out of business. Remember MySpace? Facebook could go out of business in 10 years and your stock could be worthless. We know that's always a risk. But the reality is this law lets people get in on an early stage that they weren't allowed to do up until 2015. And just imagine if you had that ability to go, I'd like to put $1,000 into Facebook two weeks after they they created it. You couldn't do that. Now you can. And that's what's really cool about this law. No, and congratulations to you guys for putting it into play and, and actually executing. And just like, you know, it's funny you say, oh, 100 bucks. Not about that. It's like, it's like buying weed. Like, I don't know if you all ever bought weed in the illicit market before we were necessarily legal, but that trust component is the number one way you stay in business, whether you're buying it or selling it. 
um, the people only did business with people that they trusted. If they felt sketchy with people, they would just avoid them. So it is somewhat like, you know, along the same lines of like you guys built trust with people and because you built that trust and because you have people willing to take small risks, who knows who might come in and drop a hundred grand in or 200 grand or who isn't going to, you know, maybe help fund a territory. Um, I want to pivot as we kind of start to wrap up the, you, the way you guys grow. Um, it's everybody right now is so hyped on the indoor play. You guys are sun grown, right? Yeah, we're mixed like greenhouse. Santa Cruz County, you have to be inside either a greenhouse or indoor. What I like to say, and again, this is part of the education from JR, is in a light deprivation environment, we can kind of get the best of both worlds. We can control the environment a lot like the indoor does, but we can also open it up and it can get sunlight and it can get the wind and, you know, it gets changes in temperature. And we think that combination, we think ultimately this would be as valuable as indoor. In fact, we've had people test it out at the farm and they said they could sell it as indoor. Uh, but that's the space that we're in and how we grow. Well, it's, it's the reason why I think this region has been so successful is because, you know, when, when if you've lived in Santa Cruz your whole life, everything you've done is somewhat come in touch with cannabis. If you're in the scene, right? If you're in the surfing scene, the skating scene, the music scene, you're a student. Uh, cannabis and Santa Cruz have been synonymous, just like Humboldt. And that whole area, it's it's like Santa Cruz is right. the is the the sister to Napa Valley, if you will. And it's interesting to see how much money was invested into the Salinas Valley because that was more prone to building. It's a different type of it's a totally different type of climate. I mean, I think when you said earlier, once you guys can go nationally and the and your product can come from where it's grown the best, we have this unique atmosphere or. I don't know, whatever you want to call it, that allows the plant to be maximized. In fact, there's there's certain strains that are really hard to grow in anywhere else besides our area. And so it's it's neat right. it's neat to have seen you guys lock into that and you were gonna Oh yeah, I mean I just think, you know, right now we're we are perceived in Santa Cruz fortunately to be one of the premium parts of the state. And it's really interesting because our distribution started in San Diego. There's such a premium in Southern California placed on either Humboldt area or Santa Cruz, and right. we do think that will go, that will be resonating nas- nationally. I mean, you've said earlier that you know Santa Cruz is identified with the surf, the skate, music. That's a big part of our brand. We're bringing in people uh, to invest and be part of our brand across kind of the cultural spectrum. So we have musicians. We're about ready to have a partnership with a really prominent surfer family, skate family. Uh, we have Mike Dern from Green Day as part of the company. We have ex-professional athletes. So we want to be very diverse and culturally relevant, and that's a big part of building our brand. Well, you said it earlier, the lifestyle component, and you pounded that home on the Bloomberg interview that lifestyle is important. And, you know, whether, again, going back to the good old Coca-Cola, you know, people would, would question when you say, oh, it's a lifestyle brand. But it it had there's when you build a brand part of that componentry it's not just one thing a big part of that is the lifestyle and it is the things it are the it is the people that have invested in you and it's the it's the areas that are embracing of you is what defines you know your best brand and i think when you guys are as you guys are kind of navigating through these still infancy stages of the space 
it's going to be fun to watch you grow and to expand into different areas. And I'm sure you've got other categories that you're thinking about moving into besides just doing flower. And I think the, you know, most, some of the best businesses are built under the most duress. If you look at the last big crash, you had Airbnb, you had Uber, you had a couple other people that came out of that downturn in the economics. There's going to be a lot of people that fail right now. Some of the bigger companies, Aurora, Canopy, they're not doing so well in the stock market. And a lot of that was because it was so early and such bloated uh, valuations that there was no way those performance could ever be hit because the market didn't go in the direction that everybody thought it was going to go into. So you guys, you guys are in such a great spot right now. And it's so rad to get an opportunity to interview you guys as you're on your way up. Uh, I just hope that we can um, circle back down the road when you're famous for doing this kind of stuff. And you'll still remember good old cannabis karaoke. <laughs> Oh, we we really love being on here, Kendall. Do you yeah, want to give all the the handles? Yeah, the the easiest way to learn more about the company and and to learn about the investment is to go to uh, own like our owning something o w n goldenseed dot com, and uh, literally there's videos there. There's an explanation of how you can invest. There's interesting information about the company. Literally everything you can find is there. And then also our normal website is gseed g the letter g seed.com where you can get that information and of course we are on uh, instagram and facebook and twitter and linkedin and all of the other social media handles probably the easiest way to get to those is to go to the website and click on one of the buttons there rather than be trying to give you a whole lot of handles here on the site i i always tell people go to ownsoldency.com that is the best place to go to get information and we'll make sure to post it. Your Instagram handle is at Golden Seed. And so we'll post all those things on the website. Man, just really great talking to both of you. Thank you for taking the time. Look forward to seeing your success. Please give my love. And uh, congratulations to JR as well. He's a he's an old school friend of mine. And uh, I look forward to seeing where you guys are going in the future. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Tim. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to this edition of Cannabis Karaoke, another kick-ass podcast about all things cannabis. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and our website, CannabisKaraoke.tv. And if you or someone you know would like to be on the show, please hit the book your interview button on the right. Cannabis Karaoke, grab the mic and tell your story. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked the Podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your can of confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.